welcome to the ASMR podcast where <laughs> you listen to Jacks eat food. Eat kibble. Hasn't eaten all day. Decided to do it the second I hit the fucking record button. So that's how professional we are here in our little one bedroom. Living the dream. Being a fucking adult. Thanks, Jax. <laughs> you could just keep the food over there instead of carrying it in your mouth. That would be preferable. All that wasted money on his uh, raised food bowl. <laughs> Comes and drops it on the floor. Welcome to the Nightmare Box, presenting Mistakes Were Made. My name is Brett Bloom. I'm sitting across from the beautiful, the effervescent, the badass bitch with the brand new prescription for her eyeballs. Kristen Bloom! She's <laughs> grasping at straws here now. <laughs> are you also a badass bitch then? I am a badass bitch. My eyes are getting stronger. I'm becoming stronger, faster. <laughs> are you indestructible? I am. Uh, yeah, my... My eyeballs are still shitty eyeballs. Brett can basically see without glasses now, apparently. <laughs> I wonder what the hell that was. Like, I've always had shitty vision. I don't have great vision. Some people just get better over time. My middle sister wore glasses, like, her entire childhood up into her teenage years, and then mm. they just got better. I'm curious how, because it's another five years removed from getting struck in the face, if, like, the scar shrunk if that might have something to do with it basically they kicked my prescription back like 75 percent we're like oh no you're almost perfect you're you're getting pretty good <laughs> so yeah, i'm still uh, blind and apparently i have high pressure in my eyes so. high pressure yay i might have glaucoma to go with all my <laughs> shitty lung problems my eyes are under pressure now i do wonder if that's related to the medicine they have me on though because she did mention it could cause like issues so. your asthma stuff uh, yeah, I think the nasal spray in particular that I take, because it goes up into your sinus mm. passages that can potentially cause problems, but, uh, like, I don't know, supposedly it's safe to take every day, and she wants me to take it every day, so if I go blind, I'm suing her. <laughs> come fucking for it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, uh, I, I think technically you're the badass bitch in this situation. My eyes still suck. <laughs> I've gotten a lot of adult <clears throat> shit done. After four or five years, I finally got the registration on the Jeep, so I've got Montana tags on the old girl. I feel like to- if I hadn't told you, though, you're taking my car and you're going and doing it, you still wouldn't it have done it. It probably wouldn't have got done <laughs> until the next time you had a Monday off and like, could hold my hand and go to the DMV. Because <laughs> I got there at open and I was 16th in line. And I was like, how in the fuck is this even possible? It's a Monday morning. Why do you fools not have jobs? You're officially a Montanan now. I am. After, after living here for three years. I finally got Montana tags. <laughs> I don't know how to... Fix the front one. I know this is hyper interesting. I do not know how to fix the front one, but I did go and get an oil change today. Spent a gang of money getting all of my fluids taken care of. Nice. So that was pretty cool. I got harassed by a woman who was uh, hardcore into couponing, and she was pissed off with me that I was not hardcore into couponing. I kept going, yeah, it sounds fun. Sounds like a good idea. Well, you could be doing it right now. Well, why don't you do it? (laughs) Why don't you do it it for me? Here's everything I'm getting done. You tell me how much money I can save. For me, it's not worth the fucking effort. I'm going to sit here. I'm going to stare at traffic in about 20 minutes. Lester's going to come out and tell me my Jeep's good to go. Does it drive smoother? (laughs) A little bit. I've noticed every time I get my oil done, it seems to like shift gears a little bit more smoothly. Yeah, I got the oil done. I got the transmission fluid taken care of. Got my air and my tires adjusted so that everything's good to rock and roll the old girl's like a brand new girl not quite not quite (laughs) but she does run yeah it's just it's good because it's a 1993 wrangler so it's almost 30 years old 
like when I go into the oil change place, if they don't come out looking like they're going to have to put my dog down, you know, that's just a, a, a little bit. I know I've got at least six more months. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm usually really good about mine, but I've been a little neglectful on this go around. Um, it's harder out here because like in Nashville, um, you know, they tell you three months or buy whatever the mile marker is that's on the sticker. Mm-hmm. Um, in Nashville, I would hit the mile like limit well before three months yeah because so I was, you're getting it done all the time yeah i was commuting back and forth into the city and with rush hour traffic you'd be on the interstate for like a solid hour mm-hmm. just sitting um and yeah out here like six months will go by before i hit the mile thing so i've been yeah. pushing it a bit because like they say you don't necessarily have to get it done every three months if you're not driving it as much so it's like mm, maybe we'll go a couple of months longer yeah. and this go around i think it's been longer than six months so i should probably get it done <laughs> well i went uh, instead of three thousand i went six thousand miles but the jeep hardly ever goes above 30 miles an hour because i work at the end of the street where Kristen and i uh, i mean it's like two miles down the road but uh, it's all 35 miles an hour through there so i'm not being rough on it she never hits the interstate and uh, when they opened up my my transfer case it was pretty much like yeah everything's good to go you were still filled to the fucking brim but you got new fluids so you're <laughs> ready to rock I'm not burning too much shit up in there. Proud of you for being an adult. I try, man. And I applied for a job at the library. You may go, is Brett going to be a librarian? No, but they did open up some security guard positions, and that gets me in the library. (laughs) Well, you're also going to drop off your application at that bookstore. I am going to do that. Now that you can Jeep Jeep around town. Yeah, Jeep Jeep. I can drive places. I've not been driving downtown because I did not want to meet any police officers. Because at a certain point... There's no excuse. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And you were far past that point. I gave you the paperwork to send in for your tags a year ago. (laughs) So what's going on here? It's like, I I hate the state and I don't understand why I'm doing this. (laughs) But they gave you the permanent tag option, so now you never have to do it again. Not for the Jeep, yeah. So So it was good. And it was cheaper than what you had to do. Yeah, which is not fair. Not fair, (laughs) because my car is nine years old. (laughs) Yeah, not 30. Well... Okay, but mine's probably better for the environment than yours definitely, is. Definitely, definitely better for the environment. <laughs> my my exhaust is blue. <laughs> <laughs> but we got all that handled. That was just over the break, but we've been watching a bunch of movies. We've watched a, a few because life has been particularly stressful. So sometimes it's good to just sit on the couch, pour a bottle of wine, and watch some movie from the 90s that I'm never going to watch again. Um but we watched some really good ones and one really bad one. So yeah. we're going to start. Had a bit of a the, film battle. <laughs> yeah, the second one is the really bad one. So I'm not going to hold you guys too long on that. But let's talk about the very first one that we did, which I which don't. Which was my pick. Kristen's pick. And what was that pick, my love? The Negotiator. The Negotiator. Featuring? Samuel Jackson and Kevin Spacey. Kevin Spacey. And he's going to come back up later in the episode. Um, what do you think? How did it hold up? I like it. I mean,. There were definitely, and I feel like that's true of a lot of older movies, there are points where, like, either the action or the dialogue or something is a little bit cheesy. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think it held up pretty well. There was a lot of stuff I didn't really necessarily remember, but uh, I don't know. I enjoyed watching it again. Yeah, it was awesome seeing, like, a peak Samuel Jackson, you know, like, in that age bracket where he was making all of his great movies, being able to see one that I've never he seen. He didn't get in a there. single motherfucker. He got one. 
Remember? Because he? he gave the first motherfucker to the white guy, yeah. and then he says it when he's pissed off when the SWAT team tries to come in, and he's, mm. like, screaming into the radio. And That's I was like, right. he dropped a motherfucker! <laughs> but, he, yeah, there were, like, two motherfuckers in the whole movie, as opposed to around the same time, I believe Pulp Fiction would have been, like, a year or two in either direction from when that one came out, and motherfuckers, every other word out of his mouth. <laughs> and Kevin Spacey, who... I, Performed well in the movie. Performed well in the movie. That is how we're going to say it. <laughs> Kristen and I kept pausing it and just being like, why, Kevin? Why did you ruin this legacy? Because <laughs> was, he was so goddamn good, especially in that, that group. And he'll be in our third film that we're going to discuss today as well, um, which is also in that same era. I'm not even going to touch. Everybody knows. He was a phenomenally talented asshole. actor, though. Yeah, phenomenally talented actor. And it's something that I, I didn't... Well, I think I knew, but I, I never paid conscious attention to. Um, even playing against Jackson in The Negotiator. Not to say that Jackson isn't an, an incredible actor in his own right, because he for sure is. Spacey does this thing where it doesn't feel like he's reading it off of a script at all. Like it feels like a natural flow of his oh, character. If you're a good actor, that should be the case for everyone. <laughs> it should be, but it's not because the second movie we get into uh, here in a minute. <laughs> like there are, there wasn't a scene in the Negotiator where I was like, "Oh, that's Kevin Spacey," you know, being Kevin Spacey-ish. Like you could say with Samuel Jackson, you're like, "Oh, that's Samuel Jackson playing blah." Kevin if, seemed at least back then to blend into whoever he was. I wonder if Kevin Spacey is a method actor at all. I would because imagine so. He seems like someone who would walk around his home like still trying to be that character. <laughs> well, after all the shit with the house of cards and he dropped those creepy ass commercials in mm -hmm. character, it wouldn't surprise me if he definitely Facts. does that because he is, was he a Juilliard guy? What, do you know his background? I don't know, but we can you googly. Yeah, because I know that he he did a couple of those Shakespearean plays when he was younger. Jax, lay down. Jax, no. <laughs> yeah, he did a lot of. I mean, I've seen quite a few of his films. He did a lot of really good ones, like especially when he was younger. Especially in those '90s periods, because you get he seven. Did go to Juilliard. I'm a goddamn G. So we got Juilliard. Like in that same time frame, we get him in Seven, where, I mean, there is a Kevin Spacey delivery style. Like he's always kind of that awkward, you know, there's something going on dark inside of his brain, you know, in every single character he seems to play. Um, but I don't know if I'm explaining it right. I think in that Alien movie, which I feel like it's called like K-Pax or something. I can't remember what it's called. Yeah, it is called K-Pax. Um, his character isn't a bad guy that I can remember. I haven't seen that movie in years. And, like, his awkward style, like, works for that because he comes across, like, very naive and innocent because mm -hmm. it's like, oh, like, I'm not from here, you know? Like, <laughs> what's going on? <laughs> but I don't know. Yeah, he's a... I don't know, it's a shame. He's, he was a really good actor. A phenomenal actor. And God damn it, Kevin Spacey. We'll talk about you again here in a minute. <laughs> fuck you. Um... And then I, to pay Kristen back for the beautiful performance that was Kevin Spacey playing with Samuel Jackson in The Negotiator. Um, and I'm not proud of this. And you thought it was going to be good. I didn't, I don't think I said it was good. I said I, re I remembered liking it when it came out in like 2006, um, which would have made me 
14, Still 15. questionable. <laughs> Watching TV on a small 32, you know, bulb TV. I'm not here for your excuses, sir. And it was the four brothers. Mark really Wahlberg bad. and that guy from the band with Fergie, Andre 3000. The <laughs> <laughs> band with Fergie. <laughs> yeah, no, it was really, 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 really bad. bad. I mean, two-star, Tuesday-level bad. I think what I remembered... Were the car chases, which I didn't realize back then, were CGI, because I didn't know anything about CGI. <laughs> the car chases just looked cool to my naive mind. The premise, which I stand by, I like the premise. This like group of adopted kids, uh, their adoptive mother gets murdered. They go home to try to figure out who it is. And as we said, about a quarter of the way into the movie, where Mark's like, why would they do this? And I was like, I think it's to piss off Mark Wahlberg. <laughs> established either though unless i don't know we'd had why we'd had a few drinks to be fair um but yeah like they established that they definitely purposely killed the old lady the cat is attacking my dust falling apart um they definitely like say that but they never really clearly established why like as far as i could tell it was because the bad guys were giving her son, who was trying to be a stand-up businessman, a hard time. And she went down there and said, you stop that. And yeah. they were like, we got to kill her now. She <laughs> like, must die. This is the- this is Detroit. <laughs> That's the only logical solution. <laughs> it's like, she's literally the, you know, this is the only business deal happening in Detroit in like 2006. She, she didn't have, like, any pull in the city. Like, a lot of people <laughs> liked her because she fostered a lot of kids. But it wasn't like she was, like... A congresswoman. Like, she yeah. didn't have any kind of authority. Just a little old lady. Yeah, being just, nice to kids. Like, basically just went, stop picking on my kid. And the, they were like, gotta die. Well, I mean, it opened promising as fuck for me. Because I, I didn't realize that she got killed immediately. I thought that that was like 15 minutes in or whatever. Um, But the scene with the little kid that's, you know, stealing the candy bar or whatever it is. And, like, they're pretending to call the police and, you mm-hmm. know, teaching him this moral lesson type thing. I was like, well, that's such a sweet character. And then as she, she... I mean, she's the only good part of the movie, if you really think back on it. Yeah. At the dinner scene when, you know, she's a, a hallucination to everybody. I don't know, though. There, there was that one part where she's talking to the kid that's kind of the outcast that ends up getting killed. Mm-hmm. And she's talking about his tattoos and stuff. Or, no, it's the other one. She's talking about the fuck. I don't remember the, which the one with the Latina girl. Maybe, yeah. Mm-hmm. But she anyway, yeah. She's talking about all his tattoos, and then she like pulls her shoulder down and shows hers, and kind of seductively winks at him. <laughs> and I was like, "Ooh, are you hitting on your son? Get out of here, you horny ghost!" I mean, he's not literally her son, but that's weird. <laughs> yeah, and it was co- a little too seductive for me. <laughs> And I remember that shootout where the dude with the ski mask, I remember that being a lot more dramatic oh, and that, that kid so having a lot more fight in him. Dumb. So dumb. He's no just reloads. laying on the ground shouting whatever Marky Mark's character's name is. <laughs> <laughs> just bleeding out like God damn. with the most gusto ever. We finally get to the bad guy and so now we've got to de-arm and have a fist fight on the ice. This entire time we've been shooting at each other, but now it's time for the fucking all-American fist fight cliche. It was not good. It was not no. good. I can't believe... Well, I mean, yeah, I guess you were 14. I was a 14-year-old boy. CGI was probably fairly new. I can't believe you didn't realize that wasn't straight CGI, though. I was like, man, that doesn't even look real. Well, I don't remember... Back then, like, a lot of the action movies, I guess, had CGI, you know? Like, 
I can I can't tell you what scenes in Fast and the Furious, but I'm sure Fast and the Furious is full of it. I well, can't CGI tell you. CGI's gotten a lot better too, yeah. though. But back then, it's like when you play an old video game on the you know the PlayStation Two or whatever. And you get a cutscene. You get a cutscene, and you're like, I re- remember this going. Wow, they've almost nailed complete and total realism. <laughs> and then you realize nobody in Grand Theft Auto Vice City has gaps between their fingers, and you're like, oh no, he's just holding onto a pistol with a block in his hand. You know, or like Goldeneye, where the AK-47 literally looks like a pencil, and you're just pointing it at people. Yeah, I think, because um, you usually have pretty solid recommendations, like outside of our intentional two-star picks, that might be the worst movie that yeah. you've ever sincerely recommended. I don't, I don't in stand by it. all the time that I've known you. I don't stand by it. And it was an unnecessary 140 minutes long, or however <laughs> like it was... And there was like so much like weird cutaways. An hour 40, not 140 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> It was 84 years. It was 84 years. Can you imagine if it was two hours and 20 minutes long? I would have shot myself. I was going to say, I would have shot you. (laughs) (laughs) No, there was like so much like unnecessarily like unnecessary cutaways that would be like, oh, now we're going to go randomly play hockey for no reason. So you can feel like you're emotionally connecting with these characters. I know that this whole community is traumatized by a murder across the street in this bodega, but why don't I take a loaded firearm into a high school, (laughs) walk out and start pulling the trigger and, and then they also, go all right well it's been nice talking to you guys i know you've all seen my face i know that there's a string of murders going on and then but this all, is detroit we don't talk to the cops also um i realized this almost immediately after the movie but i don't think i brought it up to you so whenever dude goes to like pick up sofia vergara because mm-hmm. he decides he wants to hook up with her um they're running half dressed out of the house like they're being chased by her boyfriend yeah and she or he asks how like serious the two of them are or something like that i can't remember but like it very much implies that they're being chased by this dude because he caught them fucking yeah and then later on in the movie uh the big bad boss dude's threatening to go fuck his girlfriend because he's like she's too much a woman for you and he's acting totally chill like the two of them are still together and not like she's like housed (laughs) up with this other guy like he's talking about her like Oh, yeah, that's my girl. I forgot about all the weird fetish shit with that bad guy, too, where he, like, puts the plate down on the ground and, Mm -hmm. you know, makes the dude get down on his hands and knees and eat it like a dog. And what was the point of that? That didn't add to the plot at all. Like, are we trying to make him feel more sinister? He's scary. And he was very easily beaten for supposedly being (laughs) so intimidating. Yeah, his whole operation flipped on him. If If Marky Mark was smarter, he would have used this political upset within his party and just had this man shot. He doesn't need to get in a fist fight on the ice. Well, they they needed to make a callback to the very beginning where they established he used to be a boxer. He used to be a boxer. <laughs> so we had to How call many back movies to has Mark Wahlberg almost always been a boxer? <laughs> he used to be an underwear model, I think, back in the day. <laughs> he used to be a rapper. He used to be an under, underwear Marky model. Marky Mark was a Calvin Klein model. Technically committed a crime far more heinous than the one committed by Kevin Spacey, but nobody wants to talk about it. He raped my eyeballs. He raped your eyeballs for an hour and 40 minutes. <laughs> and he, I believe, beat a homeless man into near blindness when he was like 19. But, you know... If you, watch his old, if you watch his old music videos where he's pumping iron, he's got one plate, and he's acting like he's lifting 350. <laughs> he was Marky Mark back then. He's now Mark Walter. Have you ever seen, I, I think it's called Pain and Gain? He plays, no, but I don't trust you I, now. It's not a good one. I, I, <laughs> I go into this one going, I saw it, and it's shit, but it's hilarious. I think it's called Pain and Gain. He play, it's based on a true story about these roided-out bodybuilders that, they're trying to extort this guy for money and wind up killing him. And then, like, 
it's like a Macbeth tale where like, oh God, now this guy knows and this guy knows, but they're dumb the whole time. So it's Mark Wahlberg and The Rock basically just doing the sunny, I think, is it the sun, Sunrise Murders, the Sunnyville Murders? Anyway, they were all based out of this like Gold's Gem type thing and they're just stupid like bodybuilder guys. I don't know that I've ever, I mean, I've not seen a ton of his movies to be fair, but I don't know that I've ever seen a Mark Wahlberg movie where I was like, man, he crushed that. Like, he's like the poor man's Tom Cruise. Like, they want an action star, but they can't afford someone who's a little bit better at it. I know that I've got one that I really, really liked him in. He did. I think it's called The Happening or whatever. And, like, that one was okay. He does a lot of those, like, um, yeah, Pain and Gain. He does a lot of... Ted. I loved I him. Like, I, I like Ted. I love Ted. Uh, he played a, a, a boxer in The Fighter. He was in The Other Guys. Okay, the other guys wasn't bad. I'll give you that. It's mm-hmm. not great, but it wasn't bad. Um, and a lot of movies that have names like Shooter. He was in the new Transformer movies, he, but I don't think I ever saw the ones he was in. He was in The Departed, which I didn't remember him being in The Departed. Huh, yeah, I didn't know that. Maybe that one's good. We gotta <laughs> give that one a go just to see if we can salvage Marky Mark's name. He was in some sort of a bioc, biop about um, Manny Pacquiao. Okay, how have we turned this podcast into a Mark Wahlberg? It's the Mark Wahlberg hour. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go, uh, let me see here. If I can compare his career to Kevin Spacey's. Why Kevin Spacey's? I feel because like he's more on par with like a Tom I'm gonna Cruise I'm going to move to our third movie. Kevin Spacey does thrillers. Mark Wahlberg does action films. Kevin Spacey was in a lot of movies. I'm, I'm, I'm going through an active list here. He was in The Negotiator, which we just talked about what a coincidence uh he was in a time to kill he was in seven which is maybe one of the greatest thrillers of all time and right around the time if you remember seven came out in 1995 there was this movie that we watched just the other night that also came out that same year you were trying so hard for like a smooth segue from Mark Wahlberg into Kevin Spacey. <laughs> Trying so hard. Not not only did he play the deranged psychopathic serial killer from the movie Seven, but he played the role of the witness. He played verbal. He played verbal in the usual motherfucking suspects. I don't think that's the name of it. The usual suspects. <laughs> <laughs> Kaiser Soze. <laughs> <laughs> I I have seen that before, but I hadn't seen it in a really long time. I really didn't remember any of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I remembered the huge reveal, and I knew that it had something to do with a shooting on a boat, but I couldn't remember everything that tied the gang. I together. remembered the reveal specifically because I remember the shot of the feet. Yeah, like, I remembered that. So like before when he corrects even, his limp. Yeah, even before they showed it, I was like, oh, I know that's going to happen. I remember that, but that mm-hmm. was about the only part I really remembered. What'd you make of it? Uh, it was good. It's another one where, like, I feel like the timing's a bit weird in some of these older movies. Like, I feel like they segue off from the main story sometimes mm-hmm. to add, like, filler plot points that don't really feel necessary. Yeah. So. I think it's more effective in Usual Suspects than The Negotiator. Um, because they are trying to draw this big, confusing net. So here's Verbal. Verbal's the lone survivor of this massive shootout who can lead them to their man, Kaiser Soze. And he is building this whole narrative 
that leads up to the moment that he's apprehended and brought into this interrogation room. And so those like other plot points kind of fill out these characters, which, spoiler alert, turn out not to be all real people. Yeah. (laughs) He's building the myth of Kaiser. So we need to jump off as an audience to believe that Kaiser is this separate entity. I was a bit confused, though, because the opening sequence shows... um, What is that character's name that has the cream suit? What's his name? Um... Shoot, I don't remember his name. Go ahead, I'll, I'll it'll um, come to me. But it shows him, like, crumpled over on the boat, like, getting ready to be shot and killed in the opening shot. And then somebody's, like, pouring fluid and lights the fluid. Yeah, and then and somebody they're... else from the balcony pees on it. Mm-hmm. And then the dude in shadow comes down and shoots him, which we find out later is Kaiser Sose. But there were two people on the boat. There was the dude who lit it and the dude who peed on the stream that got lit and then in the final sequence it's just him on the boat so like who was the other person peeing on the well he's killing that other guy and he is kaiser so he's making up a perspective of the events but the opening shot is before he ever starts telling the stories the opening shot is just us being introduced to the scene Mm -hmm. and then later on he goes back and tells the story but do you remember that in the opening shot yeah where he pees on the on the fire oh Oh. yeah but there's somebody else who lights it from like down at the bottom because he's talking like the dude in the cream suit that's like crumpled over getting ready to be shot is talking to someone and the person pours all the fluid and then lights it and then pees on the fluid to put it out hmm. I and then remember. and i think the person who pees on it is kaiser because then he comes down and shoots him but there's yeah. somebody else down there on the deck like doing the other stuff initially I'd have to rewatch that opening sequence now that we've watched the movie all the way through to see if I could kind of piece that back together again. Yeah, so I don't know if they shot the opening sequence before they really knew how it was going to end. Or maybe I'm just remember misremembering that. But there was definitely, as far as I can remember, someone on the deck and then someone up on the balcony. Because I thought it was verbal, in quotation marks, hiding in that like rope thing, right? watching the events play out and i just thought that the story yeah yeah so he's making up that that's not him doing the yeah but at least the opening sequence happens before we ever get the story at all and when he goes back and tells the story the only person on the deck period is kaiser there's not two people it's kaiser and then his friend who gets killed facts so i'm like where did the third person go (laughs) because there was a third person on the deck i can't remember so, Damn it. Inconsistencies. I, 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 I get high and I watch films. <laughs> but I, I, I did. I thought that that one held up really well as well. I mean, even though we're not going to have the 1995 eyeballs where it's like, oh, holy fuck, I've never seen anything like this with the big reveal. My favorite part of it is the big reveal at the end where he's realizing that Verbal's just answering the questions based on whatever happens to be on the board behind him and the bottom of his coffee cup because it's Kobayashi. And then you realize that the company that made the coffee cup is Kobayashi. <laughs> like all of his little ticks. He's a bit funnier in The Usual Suspects than he is in The Negotiator. His role's a bit more serious in The Negotiator. Yeah. You got any big takeaways on? Uh, I mean, <laughs> I mean, it was well done. I definitely enjoyed it. I don't think I would agree with you and put it like top movies of all time. Um, I don't know. I do. Kind I think of... not. Let me clarify. I think written 
It's like one of the top ten best written films of all time. Except you've you've pissed on that theory like that unknown stranger pissed on that flame. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I do miss to some extent. I feel like thrillers were a lot more popular back in like the 90s and stuff versus like just straight action films. I'm not saying they didn't exist mm-hmm. at all, but I don't know. I feel like thrillers have kind of like drifted off and I prefer thrillers to like violent gory films or like action heavy films and like I I do kind of miss that I feel like movies of that era were pretty good at subtle reveals that you could somewhat like build back to like there were a lot of films that like it wasn't blatantly obvious where it was going and then you're like maybe like a scene or two ahead of time you're like oh shit that's where we're going I mean that's what I was raised on that was my mom's favorite thing because they felt like puzzles back then you know (laughs) Where you had to go see it in the movie theater, people would be like, no, I don't want to ruin the ending for you, so I don't want to give you... Like Memento? Yeah. Well, what I was about to say, and I wanted to clarify, that it did come out in 99. Do you think that ends... I mean, there have been great thrillers since then. Um, Saw kind of works in the same puzzle format. Fracture with Anthony Hopkins is an incredible film that follows the same sort of... How do you do that? format but do you think the traditional 90s thriller ends with the sixth sense oh, i mean i don't know i don't know film timelines well enough to try well, to it is 1999 <laughs> so like technically like that generation but i mean like that point of like, it, we don't get like, a lot of thriller films i, I feel, feel like, like modern the... thrillers are a bit more on building suspense than like having intentional twists like um mm-hmm. hereditary for instance the big moment happens at the very beginning and then the rest of it's just kind of this weird confusing tension um i've been thinking of ending things was similar like it was just this confusing like tension that like made you feel anxious and like Mm -hmm. i enjoy those type of movies too and i liked both of those movies but it's not the same mapped out kind of where it makes you feel uncomfortable but like the original saw like if you watched it at the time as you know i did and i'd presume you did somewhere around the time it came out mm-hmm. uh when he gets up off the floor and then you get that cut sequence that puts the movie together with all the missing context and then you can literally just hit play rewatch it again and you'll see how they've been giving you the answer the entire time yeah. so you don't feel tricked like i don't like feeling tricked by a movie I like going, oh, if I was paying attention, I would have pieced this to this to this. And my favorite feeling is when I come up with like a side theory, like a lot of times Kristen and I will pause it and we'll be like, so what what do we think is going on here? And I'll have a wildly different, you know, third act imagined in my head. Yours are always a bit out there, though. Yeah. You're like, he's Jesus. And I'm like, no, he's not. It's the second coming. It's the second coming of Christ. I know the end of dogma. (laughs) That's hilarious. Let's look at dogma as a thriller. (laughs) Um, But that's my favorite part about it is, you know, it's not a whodunit mystery, you know, like a Sherlock Holmes story or something like that. But it's like, okay, let's pretend that I don't know the big reveal at the end of Suspects. Um who else could it have been? You know, is it the guy that 
in my mind's eye looks a bit like Johnny Knoxville or like they wanted Johnny Knoxville. <laughs> ah, fuck it. Put the money in the bank. It doesn't look really like Johnny Knoxville. <clears throat> but that's who I would have cast if I was going to reshoot The Usual Suspects. You know, I, li- I like that. Yeah. And I, I don't know. Maybe it's just harder now that technology is like so prevalent. Mm-hmm. To trick people as readily. I don't know. Maybe we're like consciously looking for that stuff more. Um, Do you think it's a social media thing? Because like if I, if you drop a movie like that, Kaiser Soze will be a trend on Twitter. Well, I think maybe back then before smartphones um, and just the internet in general were so big, people were kind of consuming Um, their entertainment specifically through either their home TV or going to the movies and stuff. So there was just less of it. And I think now that there's blockbuster. Yeah. Yeah. I think now that there's so much of it, we're just constantly consuming and consuming and consuming. So maybe visually we've become more analytical because Mm -hmm. we're consuming so much. Um, and I don't know, maybe I like, I, I have a hard time with a lot of movies now myself just cause you know, I have studied film. And so for me, like I'm personally like, Oh, like, to me, there's kind of a clear path here that we're taking. So yeah. maybe I see it a bit differently. But yeah, I don't know. I just feel like because we're consuming so much content, maybe we're we either care less or we're bored by it or maybe it's too obvious. Yeah, maybe people like you and me are a bit more studied. You know, it's so like when a new movie comes out, it's like within the first 15 minutes, I can nine times out of 10 tell you what's going to happen in the last act. It's like, oh, we've set this up. There's our checkoff gun. There's this. There's that here's our overall arc. I know what he needs to overcome to be a completed main character, which means that he probably needs to do something like what happened in this movie to, you know, because we consumed so much of it. I I wonder if that's the case with most of America or if that's the case because you and I consume so many films and shows and plot lines and stuff like that. I think also we probably, like I said a second ago, maybe we're just generally more easily bored because especially with like TikTok and Snapchat and like stuff like that like um I think the standard length of time that they kind of recommend for shots in a film is usually just a couple of seconds yeah. like you don't want to go very long because people um visually get distracted if you're the not shots... going to get that long opening sequence to like the Godfather yeah. bonus era bonus <laughs> So, and I mean, it's not that films don't do it at all anymore, but the standard is, I, I think it's like three to five seconds or something. It's a really mm-hmm. short window of time where they're like, you should be changing your shots with that level of frequency. Um, and I, I think maybe with like Snapchat and TikTok and stuff, we're just a lot more easily bored. So like even with the last movie we watched, like I found myself a little bit bored because the setup was so long. Yeah. And, and I was like, I knew how it ended. I remembered the ending, but I was like, why are we taking so long to get there? Yeah, that's the point that I wanted to make similar. Um, and I'll let you introduce the last movie that we watched. But basically I knew where we were going. Um, you're right. Jax is eating his bone behind me. They're just determined to be annoying today. I I, I knew where the film was going, and I had a pretty good idea of how the film was going to end before they finished setting it up. However, I did really enjoy it, and I want to talk mainly... You can't possibly have known it was going to end exactly how it ended. Not exactly, but (laughs) in my mind, I was pretty damn close. Dude, I will give you that in like 20 minutes. Um, Going into the last film... 
which I, I think is apropos to be the last one that we talk about today. Um, not only story, but performance. And most um, importantly, I want to talk to you about how 90s films look. Because of the four, I think the one that we did last was the most beautifully shot yeah, of the really four. Pretty. And I want your perspective on how film plays against digital. So if you would introduce and maybe give a brief description of who's in this thing and what it's about. I'd never even heard of it, and the performances blew my goddamn mind. <laughs> so go for it. Yeah, and I don't mean pretty in, like, the usual, like, oh, it was pretty. Pretty like shot. It's, it's, a, it's still a, a decent movie. The setup's just long. Um, so it's called The Good Son. Uh, the two main actors are Macaulay Culkin and Elijah Wood, um, and they're both children yeah. in this film. They, I mean, they're probably, like, 10 maybe 10 <laughs> yeah they're both very young um, macaulay culkin's younger sister is also in the film um and several of the adults definitely look familiar i definitely know their faces mm -hmm. from 90 films i couldn't tell you um what their names are though that was all four of these i'm pretty <laughs> sure there was the same like swat guy in usual suspects as was in the negotiator and i think he might have also been like the the gunner at the end of seven <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah i mean to be honest, Elijah Wood and Macaulay Culkin steal this yeah. movie anyway. But uh, the premise is basically Elijah Wood's mother dies of a disease. Mm -hmm. They don't really elaborate on it. Um, and his dad is a, a pretty prominent businessman, I guess. And he has some deal in Tokyo that he was trying to finish. Um, and his... I'm not entirely sure who's related to who. I'm assuming the... Well, I think the dad was related to the dad in Macaulay's household. I think that was his brother. Okay. So I think we're cousins. Okay. Oh, I knew there was like a brother-sister relationship, but I didn't know if the sisters were family mm -hmm. or, yeah, if the dads or if the moms were sisters or if the dads were brothers or if the dad was related to the mother of yeah, the other family. The, might be the dead mom's brother. <laughs> yeah, I have no idea. Something like uh, that, yeah. But either way, um, these families are connected and that level where, like, the parents are siblings in some form mm -hmm. and um, the children are then cousins. Um, so Elijah Wood goes to stay with his aunt and uncle and his cousins because his dad needs to go out of the country for a little bit. And um, he's very freshly grieving the death of his mother. So he kind of attaches to this, yeah. you know, basically replacement mother figure. Um, and... Macaulay's character is just fucking psycho, um, <laughs> very jealous, very, um, like early signs of going to be a serial killer, yeah. <laughs> like hurts animals, um, drowned his baby brother because he was obsessed with, um, I guess being the center of attention. Basically mm -hmm. he was furious that his mom gave his baby brother his old toy. He couldn't accept it. And then Elijah's character starts bonding with Macaulay's younger sister. So then he tries to kill his younger sister and then eventually tries to kill his own mother because he doesn't want to share his own mother. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just a very, <coughs> sorry, very slow setup to get to that. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of backstory. Yeah. Like they, they beat you over the head with Macaulay Culkin's kids a little fucked up. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, I was just agreeing with you. Oh. Um, the <laughs> Why first... are you being awkward? I'm the not... animals stress you out? No, I'm fine. 
the first thing that hits me is uh, how little has Elijah Wood's face changed <laughs> since 1992 or however long ago that was. Uh, yeah, he's basically still the exact same person. Mm-hmm. His acting style is the exact same. Um, and they feel like tiny adults. Like, at no point do they feel like kids, because this would have been made around the same time as, say, like a Home Alone. Um, but it's not that same, like, innocent, you know, he's a kid playing a kid. It feels like he's a kid playing, like, somebody I would see Anthony Hopkins play in a movie. And I think it's interesting with Macaulay in particular... Um, because he, I mean, even in Home Alone, where he's, like, not a bad guy at all, he comes across very devious. And, like, for such a young person to, like, have that level of presence, but in this movie, he's, like, legit, like, evil. Mm -hmm. And, like, he has this little Barbie doll angelic face. (laughs) So, like, when they're doing, like, close-ups of him, I mean, like, he just looks like a little doll. Mm -hmm. But then he's saying shit, and you're like, why is that shit coming out of that face? When he drops the word fuck... I imagine it would have shut the theater down. Like how he pulls out the cigarette and he actually looks like he's done it before. (laughs) Like Elijah Woods, like convincingly, like what the hell is this? Just go wide and fucking what's going on here? Yeah, and like he legit looks like he's smoked before. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, um, it is the more beautiful of the two films. I knew early in. I had speaking of like my side quests that I take with the writing. like this thing in my head where it looked like they were trying, he was trying to convince the parents that Elijah was the insane one. And I thought maybe we were going to run this angle where he finds a way to kill Elijah and then almost a fade to black with the angelic Macaulay Culkin, Macaulay Culkin, am I saying that right? Macaulay Culkin. Um, is left to grow up. You know, I, I figured that's the angle we were going. I envisioned mom's suicide it's what I thought was going to happen because I kept cutting to this beautiful shot of her standing out on like a plateau overlooking the ocean where the final battle does indeed happen. But I thought that the chaos between the kids was going to drive her to kill herself as opposed to what actually winds up going down at the end of the film. Um, but there are a lot of these beautiful, like really wide scenic shots Um, And as you pointed out, they're done on a different kind of camera. Like, they're not the digital that we're used to today. Did they have the digital back then, do you know? Or is that film film that we're looking at? I mean, I would say that was definitely shot on film for sure. Um, I don't know when we, like, definitively made the shift to digital cameras, to be honest. Uh, And there are still people to this day that try to film stuff on film. It's just so expensive. Uh, I am curious, though, if it was remastered, because whenever we looked up the trailer, the trailer was set towards, um, you know, that square kind of yeah. setup that films back, or TVs back then um, were. Like, I don't think widescreens existed at all back then, so um, I was expecting it to be smaller like that, and they've resized it, at the very least, to fit a widescreen, and I can't imagine that to some extent it wouldn't have been remastered if they were going to go through that trouble, mm-hmm. so I do wonder um, when we come across these movies that are, like, clearly older, that have been um, redone, to, up, yeah. Yeah, redone to accommodate widescreens if they didn't go in and remaster the actual footage, because... Yeah, I was a little surprised by how beautiful it looked. What was the was it the Godfather two that I rewatched? 
that I, I, I rented it on Amazon and it's in HD now. And I was like, holy hell, like the frame rate's been corrected. Yeah. I was like, it just feels a lot glossier. Um, but because it's a remaster, in particular with Shadows, which I want to get to with The Good Son as well, Coppola had this beautiful understanding of that film, like grainy shadow thing that he could move characters inside and outside of. Um, that felt like a void that you'd almost like blur into a painting kind of situation that was not lost in the HD. Um, it's not as smooth in a weird way because it's not as grainy, but the impact of the shadow remains. And there was a one scene in particular, um, one of the nighttime scenes where the mother's involved and there's this shadow that's on the wall and it looks more natural than stuff that happens now. Like we try to up the contrast on shadows too much mm-hmm. in like modern day film. And this was like a soft gray. And I was like, Oh, you never see that particular color. Is that film related or is that a change in the way that we light rooms? Do you know? You know, I feel like, and I could be wrong. Um, I feel like digital cameras, especially because like sensors have gotten better and we've um, developed a lot of technology in that area, can just see better in lower light. Mm-hmm. So like filmmakers that are trying to do these dramatic um, shadows and stuff like that will push them a bit further because you can, because the sensor can read um, that low light and like... Yeah, you might kind of just see a silhouette of someone moving in the shadow, but you can still see it. So that 90s and before was almost like, how can we manipulate the shadow because we can't see into it? So we'll work around the shadow. And I mean, too, with film, um, you know, you get the one shot at it. And if you use up all the film that you have... I never think about that. I was like, why can't you just refeed it? (laughs) Yeah, no, if you use up all the film you have, that's that. So I feel like... um, filmmakers probably were less inclined to take those kind of risks also um you know you want to make sure how terrible would that be to film a full day worth of work and then you find out later on that you can't see anything in any of the shots either completely blown out or way too dark yeah because in the moment you know all you have is the viewfinder you're looking through you can't see the actual print of it so filmmakers back in the day were a lot more scientific about lighting and like very particular about um they call them stops, like how many stops removed each lighting was. You have like your key light that's like... What is a stop? Um, you know, I'm not versed enough. Oh, no, in... just like layman's terms. Like, <laughs> I, I don't know what the word is. So, like, if you've um, got... so if I was doing um, a, a shot and I was like setting the settings on my camera, like whenever you're trying to figure out what's the best setting for your camera, there's a couple of things you take into consideration. So you have your ISO, your frame rate, and then your F-stop. And whatever um, aperture you have your camera set to kind of determines how deep your depth of field is, but it also takes into consideration how much light your sensor can see. So if you adjust... The aperture is like the pupil. Yeah, Yeah, the opening. Um, so if you adjust the aperture, um, either if you open it or close it, it's affecting how much light the sensor can even see in the camera at all. So then you have to take into consideration um, what your lighting strength is, basically, I guess is the best way I would know how to explain it. And I'm probably butchering <laughs> this because I'm not 
honestly great at lighting myself. That's right. I couldn't tell you what an adverb is. <laughs> but um, your key light is typically set to like a particular f-stop. And they have, and I actually have one myself. I just don't really use it too much. But uh, they have these monitors that you can um, put up near your light source and kind of um, measure what the f-stop is and get a literal like mathematical reading of it. Yeah. So like what the numbers like you've got the 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 lights on the stands and you've got the numbers that you adjust on the back. Is that automatically uh, relaying those stops? So those aren't F stops, those are just the company sets like a power number to it. Um but I could take my monitor and they have digital monitors. Mine's like an analog monitor, so it's literally like a spinning dial. Mm -hmm. Um but you would like then take that monitor to your light and kind of read what F stop you're at and then you're like um, if you're doing like a backlight or like a hair light or anything like that, you would want the f-stop on that to be lower than your key light because your key light should be your you. main source. I thought of light. you meant literally like recording like a three-second thing and going, "How's our lighting look?" No. And I was like, "Well, you just burned through a hundred frame rate." <laughs> no, it's a it's a little handheld device. Um, and then they go and just measure it. And like, um, you know, filmmakers back then who, you know, had to be versed in lighting uh could tell you honestly if your f-stops were like so far down from each other by looking at them like they could tell if the lighting was appropriate i I am not that skilled (laughs) i wonder if that and i hate to get too far away from what you were saying i wonder if that's what made kubrick like brilliant mathematician they were like oh he would do complex math and it's like oh probably because he's doing these (laughs) f-stop calculations inside of his mind (laughs) he's probably good at it because he had to but yeah i mean to be honest um cinematography is very much like a math and a science Mm -hmm. in my opinion i mean it's definitely there's art behind the setup of it but the actual like cinematography uh, portion to me isn't necessarily art it's very much like math and science Um, like the framing and stuff is a bit more artistic, but, um, yeah, I I think a part of it is probably filmmakers who were shooting on actual film and not digital had to be more scientific about the setup because like I have the option of just turning on the viewfinder and I can literally see on my camera what it's going to look like. Um, and that doesn't burn any footage and I don't even have to hit record. I can just turn it on and be like, that's what it looks like. We'll start when I'm ready. As opposed to, they used to have to look through their camera lens and then they're like, well, this might or might not be what actually goes into the film. Yeah, exactly. We might get sun damage. We might get, you know, any level of... I mean, depending on your camera's sensor, your camera's sensor isn't necessarily seeing it the way you see it. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, like if we had a pretty crappy, cheap camera in here, like I can see you perfectly fine. We've got the windows open. There's like a bit of natural light coming in, but we've got the lights turned off in here. If I had a shitty camera, you'd probably look really dark. Yeah. And it's not that dark in here. So you're just working with more primitive equipment. So you have to do a lot more of it manually. Yeah. So it's easier to do like, Hey, let's like the footage or not the footage, but the pictures that we saw in that Hemingway book where he just had a bedside lamp. And then, like, they would adjust how much of the lamp was covered by the lamp shade to, like, create a softness of light. Yeah, sorry. Like, I I think part of the lack of extreme shadows is the technology just wasn't there and they had to be more scientific about their lighting. Um, Or, yeah, I guess with modern technology, we get the benefit of being... Like, more artsy and experimental, but sometimes it's like, Jesus Christ, I can't see anything. Yeah, what is, were you doing? Is there a way to read, and 
consider it a rhetorical question if you don't know the answer, but is there a way to get that grainy... When I think grainy in the film, the extreme is Taxi Driver, like Scorsese, like... It could make beautiful things happen and like that off yellow I know it looks like shit you know like late 70s type graininess is there a way to recapture that with the digital or do you think that would be too off-putting on the screen sizes that we're dealing with and the um, paces that we're shooting would it just be like too confusing I mean I don't think a hundred percent authentically because I really do just feel like there is like someone who was good at cinematography with a film camera versus someone who's good at cinematography with a digital camera. Um, I just feel like the the quality is, I don't know, maybe I'm just old-fashioned. I feel like the quality is a bit better with a film camera if the person actually knows how to use it. Um, but yeah, there are, that stuff would happen in post with a digital camera. So like even with the wedding that company. Makes sense. Yeah, even with the wedding companies that I've been working for, like one of them... Um, like, I purposely go back in because that's kind of their preference and add fade on top of a film. So it kind of gives it that, like, somewhat more film style. Almost like a dreamlike. Yeah, well, I mean, it, it gives it, like, a very subtle where the the colors are just slightly more muted. And, like, there's a slight grain on the footage. So, like, the quality still looks good, but it does look slightly, like, older. Mm-hmm. Um and, like, they're, um, which, I mean, you can go in and hand color correct thing, but there are, like, LUTs and stuff that you can apply to footage that'll kind of give you more specific film looks. And some of the LUTs are, like, made to emulate old film cameras. Like, I know Kodak has a What's line a, of... A, a LUTs? LUT. It's a L-U-T. Um, I can't remember. L-U-T. It's an acronym for something. I can't remember what it stands for offhand. Um, but it's basically, like, a picture profile you're laying down on top of okay. the film. So... Um, if I had created an entire film and I wanted the whole thing to be a little bit yellow cast and a little bit grainy, I would add what's called an adjustment layer on top of it. So on top of the entire film, I would be like, I want you to add this effect on top of it. And so if I added a lot that was kind of yellow and grainy, it would then color correct all of the film to the percentage of the LUT that I indicated. So you can either make the LUT stronger or weaker. Uh, Would that be similar or different? Because again, I, I'm not the filmmaker. I'm trying to understand what you're talking about, maybe breaking it down a little bit for the listener. Um, Like when you watch It's a Wonderful Life and the snow's blowing and you can obviously tell that that's an overlay. Those are in camera. Those are in camera? Yeah, those old ones are done in camera. So uh, old cameras had like a slot in them and people would put in filters into the camera because... um, post-digital effects weren't a thing back then so Mm -hmm. similar concept but it wasn't done after it's not laying on top of the film um i don't think top of the digital like footage i don't think typically at that time no typically it was like an actual filter that they put inside the camera um and then it would just record it that way I do know there were some things where they would go back in and, like, while they're cutting up the film, like, lay stuff on top of mm-hmm. it. Um, but I or think scratch. All, yeah. Yeah. But I think a lot of that stuff was, uh, like, in-camera filters that got added. And they were, like, these big boxy filters you'd have to, like, <laughs> jam down in there. <laughs> um, a similar concept, I guess, though. Um, but with digital, it's just a lot easier. <laughs> yeah. I, I can't fuck up the film. I can be like, oh, undo. <laughs> <laughs> That's interesting, because I, I, I do prefer the film look over the digital look for most things. Like, the the digital look just 
it, it doesn't feel natural because it's most too people pristine. most people don't have like I do 2020 vision <laughs> where I see every crease and fold and pimple and everything that happens amongst the world. No, fuck yeah. that. Uh, but like most people do kind of have this passive grainy look at life if they're not using, you know, some sort of contact lens or glasses or some you know, well, even filter. From, even from back here, like your every individual pore isn't like clearly in focus to me. Exactly. I'd have to get in your face. <laughs> so like it feels more natural with these 90s films that we watched and these early 2000 films, even where I know that Four Brothers was not shot on film, that was probably shot on, like, an early digital. But, like, even if they would have given it the same aesthetic to the CGI, maybe we wouldn't have picked up on that's a CGI car, you know, doing the flip or... You know, they saved a shitload of money because they didn't actually have to crash a Monte Carlo. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Yeah. So, like, it's been interesting this week watching these older set films and how much more superior the 90s ones were to this one particular one. Granted, I'm sure I could find a really good movie from 2006 um, without even having to look that hard where I could be like, no, this one still, you know, holds up because story went this way. The way it was shot went this way. It was gorgeous done this way. But the nineties films were a lot more dialogue heavy and frankly, more beautifully shot. The usual suspects made me laugh. And it also, if I didn't already know, would have been a great reveal if that was my first time seeing it. The Good Son shot on par with some of the masters, you know, as far as those wide shots go. The Negotiator, those action sequences where the SWAT team comes in, mm. on par with The Matrix. Like, it's... Well, I'm curious, conversely, um, which I guess, to be fair, Four Brothers, it could have been miniatures, um, but it definitely looked like CGI to me. I don't think they were using model cars. Yeah. Um, but conversely, I'm curious how um, in the negotiator they blew out the window, and then I know that. <laughs> and then in um, uh, the usual suspects, the boat that's on fire—it's mm -hmm. like was that a miniature that they were burning? Um, was that an actual boat that they burned? Because those look real. I don't know how they blew out the window in the negotiator, but I do know that they used a massive poster that reflected what the skyline would look like. That was all shot on the ground floor, if I remember the article correctly. And that is basically a painting behind them. Like when they come in the window and you see all of the buildings across the street, that's basically a giant poster board. <laughs> they show him standing in the doorway, mm -hmm. like or the window of the building, like from the outside. When he's trying to get the snipers to shoot Yeah, him. so was that a set that they built, or...? I'd have to curious. do some more research into it. Because, like, I don't know. Like, I and I guess for me, that's a part of the reason a lot of the older films still hold up. Like, I still, to this day, love the original Star Wars films, and those are pretty old. Well, back then they um, used sugar glass, right? Like, compressed sugar. Yeah. 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 Um, but, like, just effects in general were usually done practically. Whether you could do them full scale or you did models, like, you actually did them. 
and they don't look cheesy the way the mm-hmm. car scene does in Four Brothers, and I'm pretty sure that was CGI. Yeah. Like, I haven't looked it up, but it looked like CGI. Yeah, it was obvious when you pointed it out to me. Like, the, there were definitely practical effects, like, where they were definitely driving the cars, and yeah. those still looked cool. But the second that they needed to flip one, it's like, oh, that's a video game graphic. Like, yeah. it's not... <laughs> Yeah, so I don't know. I I think that's part of it for me, too. Like, we've gotten a bit too absurd, like, with Michael Bay's films, for instance. Like, I mean, obviously the CGI. I'm definitely going to watch Ambulance. (laughs) Obviously the CGI looks better because Michael Bay came along at a time where that stuff was really kind of developing. But it's just so fucking over the top where you're like... Or like Marvel movies, it's like it's mm-hmm. getting really hard to suspend my disbelief. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's you know the thing that we always say about the old horror films. It's like I want a really cool looking shark for three seconds in ninety minutes. Let me get a glimpse, you know, the um, American Werewolf in London. Give me three seconds in ninety minutes, and I'll believe that that's the goddamn werewolf. But if you're going to flip a Monte Carlo in slow motion, get a Monte Carlo. But <laughs> <laughs> well, the hilarious thing with Jaws is he wanted it in the movie more. And he was yeah. scared when they said no. And... Yeah. and it just kept malfunctioning. It's like we can't use any of this footage. And so what happened is we learned this beautiful lesson. But I don't know, love. I'm going to go cook your dinner. You ready? I am ready. I love you. I love you. And I love you guys. And hopefully this one didn't get corrupted like last week's episode. I wish I knew a 90s song. I wish I knew a Marky Mark song. That would be better. That would have been the shit. Why didn't (laughs) I think about that? I could have just used it in the outro.